You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. This is episode 195 of the Healthy Critters Radio on the Horse Radio Network. Healthy Critters Radio is brought to you by Biostar US. Find them online at biostarus.com. On today's show, we share the best horse training advice we've accumulated. Critter of the show is how to incubate chicken eggs. Critter Nutrition focuses on Julia Child's influence on dog food prep. And in Coffee Clatch, we ask what your horse or dog would do with a smartphone camera. Listen in. Hi, I'm Tigger. Hi, I'm Patty. Hi, I'm Coach Jen. Welcome back to Healthy Critters Radio, everybody. Woo-hoo. Tigger's on stall rest. Yes. Patty is vacationing and awaiting a grandchild. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I oh, just got right. and I just got back from the horse lovers cruise. You're all caught up. See you next time. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we get together. Once or twice a month, depending on the time of year. And we chat about all things critter and healthy. And sometimes it's all things critter and unhealthy. Depends on which which bent it takes. And <laughs> this time, yeah, this time we have all kinds of great topics. And this is the part of the show where Tigger invariably says, you're in charge of chit-chat. I'm too tired to do that because I had to plan the rest of the show. Yeah. So, so today's chit-chat question is, uh, we're going to ask separately tigger and patty this question i'm going to ask tigger first so patty think about this tigger what are your tips for first time wef spectators how to get the most out of going to wellington to watch some competition a wef or global either or okay uh my tips for wef um Wear comfortable shoes because you have a long walk. <laughs> and Saturday night is the is always the big uh, Grand Prix jumper, and that's really a, a great night to go to WEF. And you can get food there. Um, you do have to pay for parking, but it's it's a spectacular every weekend. It's a spectacular night of show jumping for global. Um. It's more intimate. It's smaller. Um, the vendors are all kind of in one area. If you want to go shopping, the stadium where the main uh, dressage arena is for CDIs and stuff is very spectator friendly. There's plenty of seating and it's, you know, it's like an indoor show, except it doesn't have any walls. So you really are close to the horses. So the, those would be my tips is, um, you know, wear comfortable shoes for WEF and have a great time at Global. There we go. Mm. Com- comfortable shoes. Now, food-wise, are you allowed to bring food with you into the grounds? Or is that one of those places, sorry, you can't bring your sandwich along? You can bring your own food. Okay. So if you're one of those folks who likes to have that little backpack cooler, you can toss your yeah. Sammies in there and bring them along for an afternoon. Absolutely. Okay. Would you say that the food there is typical horseshoe, horse, horseshoe, horseshoe food, or is it a little bit better? 
I'd say it's typical horseshoe food. There we go. So if you don't yeah. like except at WEF, WEF you have lot many Wef, more choices ever. than global. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. Now for mm-hmm. the uninitiated, what's the difference between WEF and global? WEF is for jumpers and hunters. Global is most of global is strictly dressage, but they also have an open derby field for show jumping. Um, and off weeks of global dressage, the hunters move over to global so that they get a different venue. Mm-hmm. Now there's stuff there. Do they have seven days a week or do they have certain days that they don't show? Monday is a dark day. Monday's a dark day. There we go. So Tigger's the best advice. Now, Patty, you've been there many yeah. times. You're taking the year off, but what are yeah. your best tips for first time Wellington spectators? Well, I mean, uh, literally everything Tigger just said. Um, I, I, sunscreen. I yeah, 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 sunscreen. Uh, the only thing that I would add um, is that it is really fun at Global to watch the warm up. Um, oh, that's a lot of fun. Yeah. But what, I mean, WEF is, WEF, you know, especially if you go on a Saturday night, you know, it's just, it's shops, it's like great shops, you know. Um, it's just, it's just a, it's kind of like a party on a different level type of thing. Um, what, to me is, is just a ton of fun. I, I went a lot last year. Uh, it's sometimes fun with the parking because you've got, you, you, well, I guess the only other thing I would add to it is if you are going, you need to kind of get there early because yeah. depending on where you're, going, you have to really walk a long way back. Um, or, you know, wherever. I mean, that was one time I'm like, I know these showgrounds really well, but where are we going? You know, because there's parking. <laughs> How do they charge for parking or don't they charge for parking? 22 bucks this year. Is it so it's by the, yeah. by the car? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it, it pays to meet your friends at the Walmart parking lot. Yes. <laughs> pile in. Okay. Yep. Just shove them in. Yeah. Well, I just, just, yeah. just kidding. Don't shove them in the truck. <laughs> Um, watch so, the warm up arenas. That's always good advice. Yeah, but whatever's in the car, it gets in. There you go. But they cool. do, they do have they do have a limit of what they can take. Yes. So you want to get early, especially if it's a big jump off thing or a big you know whatever. I mean, you definitely need to get there early. Yes, and that is very interesting. I've only been down a couple of different times to watch down in Wellington, and the Saturday night classes. I've in a, as an American, you just don't associate a horse show venue with spectator seating to be full. And it is yeah. full, it's full to capacity. So, yep. she, yeah, I yeah. definitely take that to heart. Get there early enough that you can find a place or get in because it, it does sell out on a, on a night. Yeah. Yeah. And the Ooh. same is true Friday night at Global for the dressage freestyles. The stadium the stands fill up pretty fast. Mm-hmm. Yes. And yeah. there are, there are not all seats are created equal where, where we sat the last time we were down to just watch on a Friday night. We couldn't see very well. We were right down close to the ground and there were oh, yeah, people that's in front the of worst us. Place. You, you want to yeah. be up at the top. You can really see a yeah. lot better. Yeah. There we go. And dress appropriately. You never know what the weather's going to bring. Sometimes it's, sure. <laughs> sometimes it's warm. Sometimes it's cold. You just, sometimes don't it's rainy. Sometimes don't, don't believe the weatherman. Bring what you need. You put the backpack on. There we go. Well, there you go. Yeah. There's your uh, Wellington spectator tips for the year. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> our round table. And what is our round table today, Wiggy Tig? The best horse training advice we've accumulated over the years. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Our show's not long enough. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, my well, God. I, I was, I, I'll tell you what the inspiration was because I know you're going to ask. Um, over the um, unfortunate horse abuse that has now uh, cascaded over the airwaves in the world um, of just, just horrific videos of abuse by a very specific trainer in the U.S. And I just thought, maybe it's time to share some of, you know, things to keep in mind that all of us need to keep in mind working with horses. So, um, I, I'll, I'll share the one that I did that has no relationship to horses specifically, but it is so, it, it applies to everything in your life and especially horses. For every breakdown, there's a breakthrough. Mm. So when you have those days where you and the horse just are not communicating well or the horse doesn't understand something, it's almost better to just quit that day and have a you know, a, a new approach, a fresh approach, a, uh, okay, that's behind us. Let's let tomorrow. We'll, we'll do it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, cut there. Um, Tigger, I'm getting a lot of scratchy noises. Are you maybe things touching on your desk and stuff? No, my hands are in my lap. She's not using her hands to talk, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, So, Patty, you're up next. Okay. Three, two, three, two, one. So, uh, Tigger, I think that's awesome advice. One one of the, something that rings through my head came from my very, very good friend and mentor, Kathy Conley, who is so kind to horses. And one of the things she has said over the last 20 years of me knowing her, knowing her is that if a horse, if something's not going the way you want, either the horse doesn't understand or he doesn't physically, he can't physically do it. And I think that's the thing to keep in mind. Um, I mean, I have this, this, I mean, I live this every day of my life. And for me, like I'm sure a lot of people out there is, you just always have to listen to the horse. And if you get in a sketchy situation or you get frustrated or you think the horse is frustrated, there's so many things you can do. But one of the, the, the biggest thing you can do, you can go for a walk, you can get off, you can start again, you can do it over again. You, you, you know, nothing, you're, you're, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day and a Grand Prix horse certainly wasn't built in three months. Um, always go slow. You know, listen to your horse. I mean, sometimes having tension isn't a bad thing as long as you can let up and then have the horse be relaxed and figure out, okay, like you said, you know, Tigger, this is the point where you're having a breakthrough. 
But if you reward constantly, the horse is going to want to go to work. I think the best advice I give my clients all the time is, I think this was, I don't know if this was a Conrad Schumacher thing or a um, uh, Brian Klimka thing, but get on, look at your watch and walk for 10 minutes, you know, not on contact. So the horse thinks, oh, great. Okay. We're going to have a little time together. You're not going to put me together right away. And then you go to work and go slow. And, you know, when it goes well and it goes, if you get something done in 15 minutes, go for a car ride, get off, give them a piece of sugar, do whatever, whatever it is you're going to do, but don't keep repeating things over and over again. If it feels good, then trust your gut and realize that it's only going to build to the next day. Yeah, very true. That is true. There's so Jennifer? many, so many, so many. Um, now I could, this, this is something I could go on for. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, me too. Um, This is one that has had relevance of late for me. The perception of pressure, in other words, pressure and release, is Mm -hmm. subjective. And for both horse and human, that perception perception of pressure is subjective and perception is reality. So if your horse perceives you um, gritting your teeth as pressure, that is his reality. It's pressure to him. You need to fix it. It doesn't matter if you think it's pressure. It is to him, and his reality is the one you got to work with. The horse's reality. Great point. You know, we we're, we're humans and horses. We're two different beings, and for too long we have forced horses to use to try and use our reality. But it really needs to be the other way around to get that genuine partnership where the horse says, yeah, I want to work with you. This is cool. Yeah. Exactly. That's a very good point. There's another saying, again, it's, 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 it doesn't come directly from horse training, but boy, does it apply. Patience is a virtue. Possess it if you can. Seldom found in woman, never found in man. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, she's tickled with herself. (laughs) And it rhymes too. (laughs) I I do think women are more patient with horses. They don't Mm. necessarily want it now. We just tend to cajole more and encourage more and reward more. It's the nurturer. I was going to say, I mean, that that makes sense. And the warrior wants to get on and, you know, go get the enemy. (laughs) So ride into battle. So, um, but I, I think patience is just such an important thing to be reminded of because it's so easy to lose your patience in your frustration. It happens to all of us. We're we're human. And just to be able to take a breath and go, okay, wait a minute. This is like, is that, you know, when, when you get frustrated and frustration isn't, you know, and this is like as, as a trainer and somebody, an instructor, frustration is not a bad thing. But if you can't get out of, like you were saying, Jen, that, you know, 
if you can't let go of that moment, shake it off, you know, give yourself a second. If you can't get it back, tomorrow's another day. Yeah. You know, don't, don't try to force something, um, to happen, especially, like I said, if the horse doesn't understand it or doesn't think he can, you're not going to make it work. And, you know, it's our job to be advocates for them and want them to come out the next day and be happy to see you and be happy to be in the crossroads and be, you know, willing to go into that arena. And that's like my number one goal of my life in training is I just want the horse to be like, oh, great, she's here. You know, not like, oh, God, she's here. <laughs> yes. Yes. And that horse is going to have a lot, the horse that has that relationship with its humans that goes from the grooms to the farriers, to the vets, to the riders is going to have a longer career because when they're working that way, they're working mentally and physically happily. Um, that horse to be honest, might not have a career that has as many gold medals or blue ribbons but you're going to have a lot fewer horses that have the flash in the pan. They moved up the levels. They won like crazy. And then they burned out 1.5 seasons later. Mm -hmm. You know, that's well, oftentimes uh, that's the sign of a, the horse that didn't have that. The human wasn't their advocate. That human was the person saying, you're going to do this and you're going to do it my way now. And then they burn out. Well, I think a perfect example of that is, is this wonderful horse that we have in the barn. His name is Zippy. He's a, he's an Appaloosa and he is at best an average mover. And, um, he's won more people, their bronze medals, um, because he's been trained patiently and thoughtfully and kind. And he's on really good food supplements, by the way, um, that makes his body work for him. And, um, and I, one of the, one of the, the coolest things that I got to do in my career is I was like, I said to his owner, I was like, you know, I, I want to show him I won. I want to show him Appaloosa I won. And that horse happily went down center line um, and ended up with a 63% at I won. And I'm telling you, he's an average mover at best. But because he had never been forced to do something beyond his ability or and he's been treated well and, you know, all the things we're talking about, he went in there and willingly did it like it was truly one of the coolest things I ever got to do because he was the culmination of everything that we're talking about, taking care of them mentally, physically, um, you know, not ever putting him in a situation where he felt like he couldn't do it or he didn't understand. And so he went down center line, happy as a little clam. There you go. And that, that horse, it's a little bit like when with race horses, they talk about heart. Mm -hmm. that's the horse that wants to win a race. He just, he's naturally competitive. He wants to go faster than the, everybody else he can see. That's that horse that's been allowed to have heart. He yeah. wants to do it. Mm -hmm. And, and any, anything competition wise that requires the horse to be brilliant and dressage is one of those things. Uh, the horse that has the heart and some horses, they have the heart trained out of them. That yeah. horse was allowed to have heart and encouraged to have it. You're gonna get a you're gonna get the better performance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, heavy yeah, stuff! It, it, My gosh, I'm tired now. Yeah, it is. If that's where the heart takes over the talent. Yes. Yeah. yeah the the physic yes. the physical 
talent and the heart. Yes. To, they, uh, you hear that race horse trainers talk about that all the time, that they, they would rather have a horse with heart than speed because they will try their hardest. Yes. Cool. Cool. And speaking of cool, cool. we need to speak with, uh, typically this time of the show, we speak with Hedwig, the world's only podcasting okay. Pomeranian, but yeah. I think we have a special guest today, don't we? <laughs> We have a special guest. His name is Otis. He is a four-year-old Dutch warm blood. And he has a unique perspective on the world. Okay, so let us welcome Otis, the world's only podcasting warm blood. Welcome, Otis. Uh, hello. <laughs> Hi, Otis. Hi. Um, how is that? Uh, yeah. Hi, my my name is Otis. Otis, um, I would like for you to share your story of Pig TV. Oh, this is a fascinating uh, narrative. I hope you're all sitting. <laughs> or, or, um, so to begin. Uh, my name is Otis, and I am currently living in Florida, and I um, was put out in a, a new and very dangerous location, very uh, dangerous location. And there, uh, I knew right away that it was unsafe. I was separated from my friend due to allegations of psychotically bad behavior. Those allegations have not been proven, and the video was doctored, so none of that really happened. And it's um, a conspiracy against Dutch warmbloods, is what it is. So you're out in the paddock by yourself now, nobody. Already very dangerous, you know. And then there I was, and I was just casually exploring my new habitat my terrarium, as it were, and suddenly I saw a predator, but I'm very um, big, and and it will catch me, and then I thought, I will introduce myself and form a bond, and the predator will decide to be my friend, and I was going to go with that plan. It seemed a good plan, and I was just heading over there to say hi, my name is Otis. How are you? And then it moved. So I decided my best course of action was to go by the tree um, in the shade because I have a very dark coat. And if I stay in the shade, maybe it won't see me because it has little beady eyes. And I'll just stay here and watch it. And then Lady said, I spend all day watching pig TV and my brain is going to rot from lack of stimulation. So there's no winning. That's my story. Otis, I, it it sounds as if that you have a very complex life. I have a lot going on. You do. You do have a lot going on. So in your unsafe place that you have been forced to exist have others in your 
circle of acquaintances also experienced this same unsafe place? Well, so due to my inability to function in this dangerous location, um, I was moved to a, a safer paddock um, where I cannot so clearly see the predator. I was also told that a pot-bellied pig that comes up to my fetlock is probably not that dangerous. <laughs> and um, that person does not understand about predators. Obviously not. I mean, scorpions. Scorpions are incredibly dangerous. They're small enough to crawl up your nostril. Exactly. And today I saw a lizard and jumped three and a half feet in the air over a pole that I've walked over every day. So <laughs> it's important to be vigilant at all times. Absolutely. It's the, only why, thing, it's the only way horses have survived these tens of thousands of years. What if that thing had touched my leg? <laughs> yeah, it could have been very, very bad indeed. Poor Otis. Thanks, Otis. Bye. Bye, Otis. It was fun getting to know you. Not nice to meet you. So we are, I guess we're going to call it a patopedia uh, portion of our show. I, um, as some of you know, for a year ago, I uh, went into the wonderful world of having backyard chickens. <clears throat> um, I've got a quite a combination. I've got a total of 16 now. I have one rooster. Um, I have some black cop morons. I have a frizzle Easter egger who's never frizzled. Um, I've got a Wyandotte, some buff Orpingtons. I've got, I've got kind of a, a slew of different ones. Um, I have about four that I have absolutely no idea what they are because my husband, who was supposed to go to tractor supply to get me some Wyandots, came home with, he's like, I don't know what they are. They said they do brown eggs. I'm like, that's great. So anyway, I've got a bunch of really cool chickens. So I recently decided to do some incubating. Um, a friend of mine, unfortunately lost her flock. And I was like, well, I have a rooster and I've got, a, I'm getting about 10 eggs a day. Let's see if I can do this. So anyway, down my, down the hatch we went. So, um, you know, I've done a lot of research on this, but I've, I actually have a client of mine that's actually incubated a bunch of eggs, but I'm going to give you some of the baseline facts of what you're supposed to do. Um, one of the, one of the, um, sites I was on said, you know, you should collect your eggs, um, some in the morning and some at night. I'm not really sure what the advantage is up for that, but you know, I had, didn't have any problem with that because I get about 10, sometimes 11 eggs a day. You can, the eggs that you collect, um, mine are obviously in the coop and they're somewhat dirty. They don't want, you don't want to wash them off. You can brush some of the dirt or, you know, if there's chicken poop on them or feathers or whatever, but you don't want to wash them. And these eggs, you can actually leave um, on your counter in a warm area up to 10 days. After 10 days, their hatchability goes down. So <clears throat> the basic guideline for this is that you have an incubator, which you can get at Tractor Supply, and there's instructions on what you want to do with all of it. But you want to start out about, um, any, you want to start out the temperature being about 99 to 102, which is ideal. You put your eggs in the incubator. There's a humidity level that needs to be in the beginning from 50 to 55% for the first 17 days. At day 18, you raise the humidity up to 70%. 
So right around 21 days, you should start to see your chickens hatching. <clears throat> and you can hear, sometimes you can hear a chirp within the, um, within the eggs, but you'll start to have one that will, will hatch and they start to um, pip through the egg and you just kind of have to let them do it. You, and you want to keep them in the incubator when they're starting to do this because they need to completely grow. <clears throat> um, and that generally happens within like a 24-hour period. This is a general speaking thing. There's tons of stuff that cannot happen within these guidelines, but about that time. The cool thing is, is once they start hatching, um, the chicks will chirp and they'll activate the other chicks to chirp and they call this synchronized hacking, which I think is the coolest thing ever. Um, so you want to leave them in the incubator for about 24 hours. And they have enough nutrients. To, um, they don't need water or food um, for the first 24 hours. Then after that, you'll take them out, put them in a heat lamp, um, under a heat lamp with food and water. You do have to show the little chicks how to eat. you got to be careful because um, you don't want to have water even the littlest amount of water with the chicks when they're that small, um, they can drown in it. Um, so sometimes you just want to put it like on a cotton ball to teach them how to drink it. Um, <clears throat> and then you go from there and then you raise them like you normally do in your, what I did was in my house. So this particular time, because I had so many different types of chicks, <clears throat> um, there has been a bit of a blip. So right around um, and you can do this one thing that's called um, candling, which we're, um, I think it's around, around day 15, you can actually take a flashlight and look, pick the egg up and look at it to see if you can see that the chick has started to form, which is incredibly cool. I've not had the ability to do this yet, but it's really kind of a cool thing. Um, so we have been hatching about 12 eggs and I've had anything from the frizzle um, my buff Orphantons, and I did a lot of copper morons because I had a copper moron rooster. And I thought, okay, great, we'll have some more copper morons. They get big, beautiful, dark eggs. But I also noticed that anytime I use these eggs for cooking, they're definitely a lot harder. The shell is thicker. Didn't think anything about it. So uh, we are now at day 24, and all these black copper morons, which I know are fertilized, haven't hatched. So I was like, what's up with this? So apparently, there's a whole different thing that you do with eggs, I'm going to use the copper morons because I, that's what I, what I have. When the eggs are thicker, they have to go into a different type of incubation, which is called dry hatching. You know oh. nothing about this. So yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's, so there's a, I'm going to go with the one thing that I read because there's a bunch of variations of this, but so um, basically the black copper morons, which are, can be somewhat difficult to hatch, which I didn't know. Um, it says that, yeah, of course, um, that you don't want to use any water or humidity for the first 14 days. It allows for a large pocket of air to form an egg, which happens when the liquid, liquid evaporates from inside the shell. Then after 14 days, you add water and you want the water to be sterile, increase the humidity, and during this dry hatch, up to 60%. Um, so at that point, and, and in these incubators, and Tigger, I don't know if you've ever done this, you know, these, these incubators, okay, it's, it's really quite cool. They, they, they roll the eggs. They, they actually, the, the incubator rolls these eggs. And as the time, like, like I said in the beginning of this, up for the first 17 days, you're supposed to keep the, the humidity with your normal eggs <clears throat> at, you know, what did I say, 50%. 
Um, but the, the whole time, the incubator is rolling these eggs. So um, because these shells are so much thicker, um, there's actually were some sites that suggest sanding the eggs down, which to me seems ridiculous. I mean, if 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 I had left them out with the, the hens, I'm sure they would have hatched fine, <laughs> wouldn't have been worried about the humidity. But anyway, you have to do this dry hatching thing. And because you increase the humidity at the end, they really start to form the last um, the last three or four days and they end up hatching just like all the other chicks. So it's kind of, it was, it was sort of a learning curve for me because I thought, well, how hard can this be? I have all these, I've got all these eggs every day. And um, I had no idea that because of the thickness of the egg, the incubation was completely different. Now, so in all of my um, chicks that we have, we have, I have two grand chicks <laughs> um, that hatched with no problem, but then all the other chicks um, unfortunately didn't hatch. So, it's, so how many did you get? How many chicks did you get? I got two. I only got two. Um, one was from my uh, green, my frizzle Easter egger, um, which is a blue egg. And uh, another one was from a slightly brown egg, which is one of the, which is one of the hens that Peter got. I'm not exact. I think it's a Wells bar combination of something. Um, so I have two. So. I think for your first um, time, that's pretty good. I thought I I was pretty. It was, and one was born on Valentine's Day, which is our friend Rhonda's birthday. So I named her Rhonda. I'm hoping Aww. it's either going to be Rhonda. Um, yeah, but it's kind of cool. So I'm now going to um, after uh, I'm in the next week. I'm going to now attempt. Um, so the next time we do the show, I should have hopefully more black copper moron. And look them up. They're wow. really. They're really. They're yeah, that's that's my hope. I, why am I doing this? Because who needs more than ten eggs a day? Because by the way, I eat one egg, but I give them. To, I, you know, I give them to all my um, friends at the barn and whatever, and they just love them. But it's it it really is. It's it's a lot of fun to do it. So hopefully by next month, I will have more baby news. You'll have another dog. grandchild and baby chicks. <laughs> yeah, and some grand chicks. Yeah, yeah. And I'll gleefully name one after you, pig. Oh, thanks. And you, yeah, no problem. (laughs) Real horses and real dogs are healthier, perform better, and recover more quickly on real food. That's why Biostar empowers horse and canine owners with 100% whole food nutrition, supplements, and feeding programs. Biostar products are made at their own certified non-GMO facility in Gordonsville, Virginia, using real fruit ingredients that are raw, freeze-dried, or dehydrated, never cooked, and are free from artificial flavors, colors, soy, corn, wheat, and molasses. The Biostar product line includes a wide range of whole food, horse and dog supplements, treats, and unique artisan poultices that embrace the ancient and traditional uses of clay and plants. Visit BiostarUS.com today and learn about whole foods and canine and equine nutrition so you can make the best decisions about the care and health of your horses and dogs. That's BiostarUS.com. Whole food nutrition the way nature intended. We're now at Critter Nutrition. And the topic is Julia in my kitchen with dogs. 
My mother used to watch reruns of Julia Child's The French Chef on PBS from a little little black and white television in the kitchen. That's when I first heard Julia's voice, a high-pitched, eccentric voice lilted out of the television from an impossibly tall woman with a knife. I was both fascinated and amused. I watched my mother chop carrots, then look at Julia, slice a tomato, look at Julia. Sometimes she would stop what she was doing and write down something, Julia said, or say out loud, Oh, Julia! In my mother's collection of cookbooks, there was indeed the Julia Child tome mastering the art of French cooking. Whether or not my mother ever opened it remains unknown. My mother was not a great cook, but her Toll House cookies were legendary. When the Meryl Streep movie Julie and Julia 2009 came out, I ended up watching some YouTube videos of several of Julie's cooking episodes, including flipping a potato, French omelet, and cocovet. But I didn't get the quintessential spirit of Julia until the HBO Max series, Julia. Watching the HBO series inspired me to go watch full episodes of The French Chef on YouTube. Okay, I fast-forwarded in some places. What I've learned from Julia about food is to take chances, be courageous, be curious, be open to learning new things, and have fun with food. You aren't born a cook, Julia says. You learn by doing. When I'm preparing dog meals, I think of Julia. I don't make every meal the same. Learning from Julia has made food prep more of an adventure and less of a rigorous adherence. I start food prep with, what are we going to have today? I take stock of ingredients, raw, cooked, grains, eggs, veggies, goat yogurt, bone broth, maybe some cheese, a healthy fat. Like being the conductor of a food orchestra with Julia's voice in my head, I sprinkle a little fennel on the food or maybe basil. Or perhaps I'll make some oatmeal, scramble several eggs with cheese and kale, warm up goat's milk to pour over it. I could do a raw meal, such as small batch turkey or lamb patties, with green juju's just greens, goat milk yogurt, and pumpkin puree. Maybe add some dill or turmeric, perhaps, or a pinch of parsley. And to cover all the nutrient bases, I always include Biostar's Optimum Canine Formulas. Lizzie Meyer, who is Biostar's canine specialist, inspired me to start making her frittita bravo. It's a simple recipe, eggs, almond flour, and shredded cheese that can be added onto in many ways. This morning, I made the frittita dog muffins and added freeze-dried veggies. Variety is the spice of life. Julia is joyous when she cooks, and I have adopted that approach. I might sing while I'm stirring the bowls or have a conversation with my dogs about the ingredients. I try to avoid talking on the phone, texting, or in any way being distracted from the focus and joy of dog food prep. One of my dogs, nine-month-old Kenobi, has taken it upon himself to be the food inspector. He wedges his body next to mine, and his eyes follow every move I make while preparing his meal. His cohort, Keen, politely sits at the kitchen entrance, patient, trusting, a canine version of Julia's husband, Paul Child. I think many of us who started our dog journeys with kibble become fearful of changing course, afraid to give kibble the boot 
and move on to new explorations with food and health. I was afraid once too. It seemed daunting and I felt out of my element. That's recommend kibble, so why buck the system? It was probably the same for many American housewives when they were first exposed to Julia and French cooking. Convenient foods had all had placement on grocery shelves already. Swanson TV dinners come to mind. Not to mention the growing category of time-saving devices. Giving up convenience to make a French dish was no doubt intimidating. And yet some housewives took the leap, while others incorporated elements of fresh French recipes or techniques they learned from Julia's show. Convenience food demand would continue to grow. But from those mothers in the 1960s came the foodies, farmers, and chefs of the decades to come. I found a YouTube video of Julia Child on Late Night with David Letterman, 1986. It was titled, Julia Child Turns a Meat Mistake into a Gourmet Meal. Her ability to improvise on the fly was truly amazing. What struck me was her confidence and fearlessness. I think we become more courageous when we understand the basics. With dogs, we know the basics. They need protein, some carbohydrates, some vegetables, healthy fat, vitamins, and minerals. Improvising when making their meals lets dogs benefit from a variety of foods because variety feeds the varied species of the gut microbiome and helps reduce picky eater syndrome. As dog owners, we can be a kind of Julia Child to our dogs. Not that we must provide French cuisine, but we can make feeding our joy our dogs a joyful, fun experience. When we feel the freedom to improvise, we allow our dogs to experience new foods in small quantities. For instance, I once tried to add blueberries to my dog's food, but they left them in their bowls, even with the berries slightly mashed. So I instead tried putting them in dog muffins, Lizzie's frittita recipe, and voila, they ate them up. Of course, you can experiment, but keep in mind to avoid chocolate, gum, candy, anything with xylitol, which is also found in toothpaste, grapes, raisins, macadamia nuts, avocados, onions, raw yeast, dough, coffee, or alcohol. If your dog is sensitive to cow's milk, Perhaps because of a lactose or casein intolerance, goat milk is a wonderful alternative. Goat milk contains less lactose, less casein, and provides more protein than cow's milk. As we now say in my kitchen, bon appetit to my dogs. So now we're at Coffee Clatch, and the question is, if your dog or horse or cat had its own smartphone camera, what kind of photos would he or she take and share? Dun, 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 dun. So I know that Kenobi, who is my 10-month-old, if he had a smartphone, he would be taking pictures of my butt in the air picking up dog poop. Patty, um i started with burke burke would take pictures of catch looking at him 
Burke's absolutely convinced that Catch thinks he is the cutest thing in the world. Catch, on the other hand, has a whole other opinion of stuff. But but Burke's just convinced, you know, that he's just the the, the dream boy, and that his brother will take pictures of him. <laughs> Jennifer, let's see. I ha- I have to have separate ones for Scooter and Nigel. Yes, Scooter the Hackney Pony would take pictures of food porn. <laughs> he'd take pictures of food continuously yes pictures beautiful pictures of bales of hay with a very narrow focus and uh, well lit shots of apples yeah that would be what Scooter did and Nigel also known as Big Lumbering Oaf he would take his cell phone and he would download a security app and he would take pictures with an infrared app camera app so he could spy on Scooter taking food porn pictures. <laughs> okay. Yeah. See, see, that's a whole brother thing. I get that. Yes. I get that. Yeah. He would, he would yeah. so have secret cameras everywhere. He, he listens to true crime podcasts too. Oh my God. What a horse. <laughs> yeah. Um, Keen would be the um, the artiste, and he would be the one taking pictures of the flowers, the uh, the trees, a beautiful sunset, and Kenobi would be laughing at him. <laughs> yep. What a dumb thing to take a picture of. Take a picture of her butt. <laughs> yeah, very good. She's picking up poop. Get that. Hurt her, her leg. Okay. Catch would take videos of himself seeing how fast he was. <laughs> because if you had him, he'd be like, dude, I am so fast. I'm so much faster than my brother. I'm faster than the cats. I'm faster than the Frenchies. Not a chickens. I'm faster than he, like I'm fast. He thinks he's fast. He's Ricky Bobby. That's who he is. He's Ricky Bobby. <laughs> well, let us know what your dog or cat or horse would do with a smartphone camera and what kind of pictures they would take. You can find us um, on Facebook at Healthy Critters Radio. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to our sponsor, Biostar US. You can find them online at biostarus.com. Thank you.